Hello and welcome to Fatima Today, the podcast of the World Apostolate of Fatima USA. We ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Recent restrictions placed on the traditional liturgies have caused an uproar amongst many in the more conservative religious movements. After more than 30 years of relaxed rules in the celebration of these liturgies, the Holy See has reinstated past restrictions on priests and has limited the authority of bishops in granting permissions within their respective dioceses. Parishes which have successfully mixed both the old and new liturgies now find themselves having to adjust to these new restrictions. The Canons Regular of St. John Cantius in Chicago is one such group adjusting to the new rules while keeping with their founding. My guest today is Father Joshua Caswell, Superior of the Order and Pastor of St. John Cantius Parish. Welcome, Father Joshua. Thank you. How it's you? really good to be here. Well, glad you are here. I'm glad we once again back here at the Blue Army Shrine. So it's been an interesting time. I, I mean, a little bit of, of disruption, obviously, and, uh, uh, but I think you, you've done a good job of, of handling or, or maybe, maybe navigating these waters. Um, what exactly has been changed as far as, the, of course, the, the little background at Canons of St. John Cantius. I, I think I know enough about it. I haven't been part of it from the very beginning, of course. Um, it was the restoration of the sacred is what's behind your founding as an order. And, um, of course, the Tridentine Mass came to be. It wasn't really founded in the times of the extraordinary reform being allowed again. Um, in the 80s, I remember when, when Father Philip started over there, um, and it was just a couple years after that that the first indult came out. And But initially, you started with the, it was the Misa Normativa, correct? That's right. You know, can you speak a little bit about that and how that morphed into becoming the, the liturgy? Sure. So our, our founder, Father Frank Phillips, when he founded our community, um, he would originally do the ordinary formula of the Mass, but in, in Latin. Correct. And so that wasn't the traditional Latin Mass as people know it. But he knew that the riches of the church, providing these beautiful riches, was what people needed to encounter Christ. Right. And then he was asked by Cardinal Bernardin, actually, to offer the Tridentine Latin Mass. And that just took on a life of its own. And so when our order was founded on our founding documents, we offer both forms. So we offer the Mass of Paul VI, which is the Missal from 1970, as well as the Mass of 1962, the Missal of John XXIII. Yeah. And so most traditional communities, they'll offer... One, uh, one Mass, just the Tridentine Mass, or they'll offer the new Mass. But we're in a strange situation where we offer both. And as you know, being a parishioner for many years, St. John Cantus has offered both forms of the liturgy. And it's worked, it's worked well. And the parish has grown and, and thrived. But obviously, we're in di different times. And we have new restrictions which came down from Rome. Mm -hmm. And we're in one of the dioceses which the, with the greatest restrictions locally. Yeah. But we've managed to have a good dialogue with our ordinary Cardinal Supic mm -hmm. and really navigate these waters. But it's, it's, it's been an adventure. Well, I mean, knowing many of the people that have come to St. John's, and it's a very diverse group of people. I mean, from the years I was there, even in the late 80s and all when it started, and so many people, uh, especially when the Tridentine Mass was brought back, there were a lot of people that were reconciled from the Society of Pius X. Uh, not all of them stayed. That's true. Okay, but... A lot of them came, and they were happy to see that this was being allowed again. Um, there were some critics, and we, we, we know that. And um, uh, but I think overall, it showed that uh, what, what I what I, I I always saw was that that 
everything remained, both with the Misa Normativa, the, the Latin, the, the uh, Novus Ordo Mass in Latin, which I want to say really was, was done with Monsignor Schuler up in Minneapolis. That's right. Didn't he, didn't he begin that, if I'm not mistaken? He did, absolutely. He did. And that's where it Great uh, St. Agnes Parish in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis. And he'd have, yes. he'd bring in a choir and orchestra. I remember that. And most people, so I, I have a couple of illustrations, but one of the that stands with me is one day we had a gentleman come to the 11 o'clock mass, which is the Missa Normativa, or the yeah. current rites, mm -hmm. but in Latin. Yeah. And this gentleman came in, he saw the mass at Orientum, with the Gregorian chant and the choir and everything. And he was so taken, he came back to the sacristy and he announced to all of us, I will never attend a Novus Ordo Mass again. I didn't have the heart to tell him, he just did. <laughs> just did. <laughs> because most people don't see it with the way Vatican II yeah. intended, with the splendor of the liturgy, well, that's right. with the Gregorian chant, with, with the beauty of the Mass. And right. So we've been able to offer both. So yeah. um, it has been a difficult walk for us over the past few months. Yeah, I uh, and it has been difficult because we do love the Tridentine Mass, and we know we know people who made sacrifices to come into union with Rome oh, yes. uh, to attend that Mass. And you're right, some of them never stayed because they, we, whatever, we weren't traditional enough. Right. But, um, but others, of course, have. Yeah. And so it, it was a difficult thing, and I really had to enter into a lot of dialogue with Cardinal Supic, and I was very frank with him about the people who made sacrifices to enter into communion with, with, yeah. with Rome. And we don't want to lose these people. And he, he was understanding of that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, I, I know you did, and, it, and you put yourself in an interesting position by doing that. But, but, but it was important because you're, you know, you're being obedient, that's fine, but you're also, uh, and hopefully this is a, a short-lived thing that will, you know, this will be loosened up again and there will be you know, a, a, a more generous application. And I believe that's how, uh, isn't that how Pope Benedict put it when he, when he expanded exactly. the multi proprio? He asked know. for a generous application, generous right? Application, and the, yeah. current, uh, the current Pope in charge, uh, that may not be, and I can understand the way that some of these traditionalists are. Here's something very important that I see is the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, is a means to an end. Yes. But some people treat it like a mean, like an end in itself. Right. So they make an idol out of the Latin Mass. Okay. And I can understand. Pope Francis came from Argentina and the, their experience with certain groups of Catholics. Yeah. And it has been difficult for them. Oh, sure, sure. But at the same time, St. John Cantius has a harmonious record of having both forms yeah. side by side. That's right. And w what happens is people end up going to one or the other. Oh, it is the Mass, the Holy Sacrifice at Calvary, which is the true Mass. Exactly. So it's a means to end that encounter, but it, yeah. um, it's, it's been a ride. Well, I know when we're there and we do 10 Mass at St. John's regularly, I mean, being an early riser, I'll go to the 7:30 mass on Sunday because that that is a Tridentine low mass, and it's oh you're one you're you're a, you're a Latin Catholic. Well, I'm a Catholic, you know, and I get up early, so I go to the Latin. <laughs> right. I mean, I love it. It's beautiful. Don't get me mm -hmm. wrong, uh, but I don't have a problem. We here at the Blue Army Shrine, as you know, we have the uh, we, we offer the Novus Ordo Mass six days a week, and on Thursdays we offer the the Tridentine Mass, the, the extraordinary form. And I, I think it's beautiful. And our bishop here said, just continue what you're doing. He said, there's no restriction put on it, which we appreciate. Um, um, and it's put it more in the hands of the bishops. I think that might have been one of the motivations from Rome was to put it back into the hands of the bishops, you know, so that the priests themselves couldn't make the decisions. Although a lot of priests, you know, a lot of priests were restricted, maybe, I think, unfairly in some cases. For sure. No, and, and, and I think, who was it? I think it was Bishop Tobin who said it was like Pope Francis used a 
chainsaw where only a scalpel was necessary. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's a fair analogy. That is. But our founder, Father Phillips, did teach us to be o obedient. Oh, and, absolutely. And merit comes yeah. from obedience. And sometimes that's very, very painful mm -hmm. because we have this first Sunday exercise, also Christmas and Easter, we have to have the Mass of Paul VI. Yes. And it's, I mean, it, it is the Mass, but there's something about the splendid nature of the Trinitine Mass and the silence that, that people really miss, but it's a sacrifice. But yes. that is the true test of anything in the church, is is there obedience or not? And that's been a, right. a decision that we've been placed in. We're, we're going to remain obedient, and we're going to speak our voice mm -hmm. and be honest with the bishop as much as possible, but we have to be obedient. Well, at my age, I learned how to, to, to serve the Tridentine Mass as a young boy, okay? And it was majestic, there's no doubt about it. Now I find myself 10, 12, 11, you know, 13 years old. Now the Mass changes, the late 60s. And um, I, I didn't... I was a little confused, like everybody, but life went on, you know. And you're a teenager, it's the last thing you're thinking of, you know. And so now, zip ahead some years, you go through the, the 70s. Now, mid-80s, I was traveling with some friends through France. And we were, it was, we were going by train. It was 1985, I'll never forget that. And we're going through there, and it's a Sunday. We have to find Mass somewhere, right? So we end up in a town in central France, and we got off. And I knew that they had, they had uh, the... Society of Pius X had a monastery or had a lot of influence in that area. We'll make a long story short. We get out, they ask for a mass. They say, oh, and they, 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 in the French, they're there's a big mass over here, a big mass. So I went to the big mass at the, at the, the big church there, and uh, it was Archbishop Lefebvre. Oh, wow. Okay, you know. Now, this is prior to the schism of 1988. Sure, and, sure. I, and I have to admit, it was a pontifical mass. It was the most, it was uh, fantastic. I mean, sure. wow, I hadn't seen this in years, you know. And um, uh, so it, there's a beauty to it, you know. And sadly, three years later, of course, he consecrated those bishops and, and incurred excommunication. And it's pretty sad. Um, uh, and they're still going in their direction, you know. Of course, the Fraternity of St. Peter was founded by people who left at that point, mm -hmm. you know. And Pope, uh, Pope John Paul II, I guess, he founded them. That was great. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I guess my experience has mostly been Novus Ordo Mass through my life, daily. I am a daily Mass attendee, so most days I attend, uh, you know. And, and I came to realize many years ago, I always did, I guess, but I remember during the consecration one time, you have these moments. Okay? And I did this podcast with Bishop Perry where he spoke about the Eucharist and the Eucharistic revival. And uh, there is that belief, okay? And I just there was one time during a Mass, and I recall at the consecration, just, you know, watching and thinking. And it's, and it's just something just struck me in my heart. You know, you know, this is the essence of the Mass right here. You know, whether it is done in the traditional form or done in, in Novus Ordo, it's the disposition of the priest and of the people. You know, that's really what it comes Those down to. Those moments where it feels like heaven breaks through, where the liturgy is so splendid, exactly. where there's a silence and you really have that, that experience. Right, yeah. right. And there was a quiet mass with only a couple people there with the, the priest was having. And I just recall how it just struck me that, you know, you know it's, it's, this is still a mass. We can't be careful. You know, we can't be in love with the rubrics. Mm -hmm. that, that is a little problem with, yeah. with real traditional people. You know? I want to share an experience of my most beautiful mass. It was, um, it was actually at a bar and I was stranded in a blizzard. <laughs> and it was one of the most beautiful masses I will ever remember. Uh, my brother, Father Nathan Caswell, and I were with about, uh, I would say, about 300 youth oh, uh, for the March for Life. And it was this great blizzard. We're coming back for the March for Life, and we were, there was no way we were going to move. We were stuck in Breezewood, Pennsylvania. I recall this. And <laughs> there, um, we went for Mass without three days. 
and the children were so homesick. They just wanted to go home and we couldn't, we couldn't even move. Yeah. But there was one heroic couple that drove through the snowstorm in a snowplow and they brought you know, a moderately beautiful chalice uh -huh. and some, some things for, for, for the altar. Yeah. And my brother went to Sheets Convenience Store and got linen scented candles, that's all he could find. <laughs> we got the hotel desk bell and we, uh, we rang this bell at the consecration, but I remember it was like two card tables stuck ding, together ding, 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 one and <laughs> one of the priests is hearing confessions under the Bud Light sign, but the locals in the town joined us. They, they joined us in the town. Oh, great. But I remember the children kneeling on the ground in this bar uh, saying mass of the angels like I've never heard them. Yeah. Their homesickness was suddenly turned into a desire for heaven. Sure. And that was something I will never forget because the offering that mass said, it's not about it's it's about God's condescension to us. Of course, we give them the very best we we have. That day we give them the very best we had, whether it was right. the best sheets at the Econo Lodge. That's it. We gave them that. But that's that's I mean, our religious community. People may be confused and say, oh, they sold out. Well, we we didn't sell out. Yeah. Cardinal George told us that our charism is to make available to the people of God the heritage of the church in all their forms and all their splendor. There you go. That means everything. Yeah. And so the, the liturgy is not ours, liturgy belongs to, to the church. Yes. So if the church gives us the Latin Mass, we're going to offer that. Mm -hmm. If the church gives us the Byzantine Mass, we're going to offer that. Mm -hmm. If the church gives us the liturgy, we're going to offer everything we can. Mm -hmm. So that's why when you come to St. John Cantus, even now in these troubled times, you're still going to find a packed church. Yes. You're still going to find a full choir and orchestra. You're going to find the Gregorian chant as best as we can offer, giving the Lord the very best that we have. Sure. But sure. that was a lesson I learned yeah. in Breezewood, Pennsylvania. Oh, that's Stranded, interesting. So. Yeah, that's very true, though. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's just it. It's not where, it's what. It's what you're mm -hmm. doing and, you know, and what you're bringing out. And, uh, and I think that is the founding of the, the, the canons regular, or the, the Society of St. John Cantius, restoration of the sacred. Right. And that comes in many forms. Exactly. Yeah. And so restoration of the sacred, it is, yes, it's about making churches beautiful. Right. It is about uh, making the most beautiful chalices and all these things, but only because it's about restoring our heart, mm -hmm. making our hearts pure, making them beautiful for God, because we're the real temple. Yes. Like we spend thousands and thousands on churches and millions to make churches beautiful, but what about the inside of our souls? And that's really where restoration of the sacred is. Yes. And so our community of priests and brothers, now 30 of them, uh, we live together, we live the common life, and we do things as a brothers. We sing the divine office as best as we can. But it's about it's about making our hearts beautiful so that we can have something to offer for the faithful. So. Yeah, I tell everybody when people say, even being here in New Jersey now, people when they go to Chicago, where do you go? Go to St. John Cantius. Yeah. Everybody, but it's interesting. No matter where I go, when it comes back to Chicago and I mention St. John's, oh yeah, it, it brings a bell with people all over the world. To be honest with you, and I think during COVID, the way you brought you broadcast your mass and everything really expanded it was it a was lot. truly incredible that forced yeah. us to offer because we had to figure out how could we make sure people have access to the graces of the sacraments in this lockdown, right. and it forced our brothers and priests who did this themselves. Yeah, they did all the camera work and all that, and but it was it was tremendous. I think for midnight mass, we had some uh, twenty thousand people viewing from that all many? around the world. Yeah, it's amazing. We got letters and people from all over the world writing in how much it meant because they got to peer into a bit of a bit of heaven. Yes. You know, and, and I, I I do realize that Saint John Cantius is kind of um it's a flagship of us you know, people are looking to it, it's setting a standard. But our founder's vision was that St. John Cantius isn't where we come and we bring all these people into some enclave of yeah. traditionalists. It's not some enclave. Right. But it's a place where people go and they're changed and they come out and they change yeah. the world. Yeah. And I would say you're a perfect example of that. 
How many years were you a Christian in there? You're working with one of the first lay associates. I was first and now you're the executive person. director of the World Apostle <laughs> of Fatima. That's an incredible, you know, that's really, that's a, an amazing, right. we're very and proud of you. It's a foundational thing, you're right, mm -hmm. you know. And of course, Dorothy and I met there through the parish. Yes. It's interesting, yeah, it's true. And, and, and it was a big part of our life. I mean, I, um, you know, of course, I knew Father Phillips, and I remember going there in the very beginning in 1988, when you first got to 87, 88, and walking in, this church was ready to fall down. It was a disaster area. It was. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was a neighborhood that had gone very bad. Of course, it was gentrified, then it came back. Oh, gosh, there were, there were boards over the windows. Um, yeah. the, the neighbor, you could lie down on Chicago Avenue and not get hit. It was, just, it was empty. I remember slipping yeah. on an asbestos tile that was in there. Oh, it was, it was a wreck. <laughs> and the, I mean, the church should have been closed down, and yeah. Father Frank was sent there really to ease the people out. Yeah. And he took the 40 people left and the one <laughs> child and uh, said, you know what? the same expressways that brought people away can bring people back. Right. And so he just said, how do we do this? Well, let's do what the church has done for 2,000 years. Beauty. Beauty. People don't want churches that look like Pizza Hut, as I've mentioned. They want a church that is truly beautiful. Yeah. They want an experience of heaven. Oh, they do. And so our founder offered that. Yeah. And people came, and they're still coming. Even in the current circumstances with the motu proprio and um, our dealings with Cardinal Supic, Who's yeah. actually been very good to us, but even with, with all of this frustration, yeah. um, our vocations haven't stopped coming. I know. The men want to join because they want the life. They know that restoration of the sacred yeah. is, not about, is not about the Latin Mass. The Latin Mass is not the end-all, be-all. Right. Jesus is the end-all, be-all. Right. And, and Latin Mass, not to under, it, it's, it's extremely it important, and I never, I mean, I, I, I defend it to the end, but, but you're right. I mean, it, there's more to it than that. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people that, I mean, a lot of people that go outside of the church, and they'll, they'll, they'll offer the Latin Mass, a lot of praise. Well, are they really doing the right thing? Okay, you know, right. I mean, you have to understand it, you know, mm -hmm. there's obedience involved. Yeah, I know. Something without, it was Pope Benedict who said that, uh, something that's not connected to the vine will wither and die. Yes. And you have to be connected to the vine of, of, of the church. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's not convenient, but we're not Protestants, you know? Right. There are days where I wish I was a Protestant again after being the Catholic Church. And you're a great but convert. Then I, but then yeah, I, yeah, I converted yeah. from the Protestant Church, but then I'm like, where does yeah. that end? Then I would be without the sacraments. We yes. need the sacraments, and the sacraments come through through the church. Yes. And those keys were given to Peter. Right. And, and that obedience, God says, I desire obedience and not sacrifice. He wants that, that obedience, and that's, that's going to bear fruit. And it hasn't been easy. I mean, I love the traditional Latin Mass. Sure. There's I nothing, I'm pretty, um, what am I, I'm pretty uh, overactive in my mind, yeah. but it's the one of the few times in the day where I find rest, where I step into the Missal, and it's just this is quiet and peace I haven't experienced. Sure. It's the one place of rest. Oh, so, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, I mean, I, it would be hard to, 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 to lose that, but again, the liturgy doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the church. Yeah, it does. So. It, it does. But I think, you know, we stay faithful to what we're doing, and, and I, I just believe this will, this time will, 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 will end. It'll come back maybe in a different way, a little, you know. Um, and there are people that came after the council. There was, there were some, there was a big, push for the change for the sake of change people you know and that was what the council called for it yeah. really didn't um, and I think that that maybe some of them still feel that that that's important uh, but it didn't prove to be it really didn't prove to be fruitful I mean where in the church do you see the biggest growth and it really is in a more traditional movement you do I mean, look at St. John's I parish is really just yeah. I mean incredible growth and in, in all yeah. I have to worry about where we're going to fit people on holidays, I know. and that's a, that's know. an incredible worry that most pastors don't have. Yeah. But it's because we're offering people want to go to church and have heaven. Absolutely. So I heard I heard that in South America the two fastest growing religions are in South America the two fastest growing religions are um, was it oh paganism 
and Pentecostalism. Now the question is, why is that the case? Why are these the two fastest growing sects in South America? Because they deal with a threshold between heaven and earth. Oh, okay. And so Pentecostals, they really believe in the supernatural, they believe in grace. Right. Uh, pagans, they, you know, the superstitious santeria, they believe yeah. in there's some power. They yeah. want power they want that's that. not on this earth. So when you walk into a church, you want something that, that it's the threshold to heaven and earth. Yeah. And I think that's what St. John's is able to provide. Yeah. And you look at the demographic, you've seen our, some of our high masses, the amount of young adults. It's amazing. And they're not yeah. just your typical um, Catholic young adults. You see the, um, the pierced ears and the blue hair oh, yeah. and all that. Oh, yeah. it's the... Different kinds of people who walk <laughs> in there. But it's interesting, I mean, having started going there in the 80s, and so many people come in with their young children who are now grown, and they're their children now, and they have one, two, three, four, five children. You can see how it's, it's really grown in those years. And it's the, I, I introduced Father Phillips at a conference one time, and I used the analogy of the field of dreams. I said, if you build it, they will come. And he built it, and they came. Mm-hmm. And it's very true, you know, and it's, uh, but it, and it's beautiful that, that I, and then of course, you know, you know, in other parishes, you have, you have St. Peter's and Volo in the Archdiocese of Chicago, you're in Springfield, Illinois, with three parishes down there, right? Exactly. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's wonderful. Yeah. So, and, and we are expanding as fast as we can. Yeah. And we're looking to come uh, to a well, diocese near We'll near make you. an offer. We'll maybe get you <laughs> exactly. out one of these days. You know? <laughs> but it, you know, uh, our order, so diocesan priests, one of the more important things of our order is not just that we offer the Latin Mass like the fraternity, yeah. but that we live the common life. Yeah, and important. so um, our constitutions say that between four and six priests go out t- t- together. Yeah, that's great. Because when we go somewhere, we sing the divine office. We're living the common life like the apostles lived. Right. So we're not on our own. So it's kind of like the special forces in, right. in the church. Yeah, we want to bring not just one person, but a whole community. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of our goal. So. Well, I, I know when you have your 7 a.m. mass daily, and then of course it's always with, with the community and their singing exactly. and all that. And so many people come in and they stay to hear everything. And they come back in the afternoon for prayer, which I think is nice. You know, it really is. It's not mm-hmm. even, even people, the lay people come in and want to be part of that. Providing that oasis yeah. in the midst of the city of Chicago is a... Yeah, I mean, it, it truly is. I mean, especially today with the cities, all these cities, Chicago not being, of course, being in Chicago. And I, I, I know those dynamics a little better than most. And uh, it, it's difficult, They're difficult times in any urban area. But, um, uh, but you're right, these are the oasis. And this is why you stay there. I know when, when People would say, well, you guys have that place in the city. Why do you, why do you guys? And St. John's is one of the biggest reasons why, to be wow. honest with you. And, of course, we lived very near, our place was near Holy Name Cathedral. And, you know, it was always, you know, it was good to have the, the, the churches around you can get to. You know, and that's, that's, Absolutely. that's the urban experience that we, you don't have in the country, necessarily. Mm-hmm. But we have this shrine here, which is, uh, which kind of makes up for it. It's good. good. Well, it certainly does. Yeah. It's yeah. such a blessing to be here at this shrine. Yeah. It's one of the things I try to do every year, and I look, yeah. look forward to it because it's a place to recharge and refresh, yeah. and I believe there's something very special about the grounds here and the way right. that Our Lady works here. Yeah, well, I appreciate and, you uh, coming and being part of our Eucharistic Reparation Weekend, and of course, coming into the, the October, excuse me, the, uh, the uh, July apparition, uh, which is, which to me is the real, the most important apparition of Fatima, I've always said that, because people say, oh, the miracle of the sun, yeah, that's important, all these, but it was in July when that, when that, that terrible vision of hell was shown to the children, and they really understood their mission of reparation, you know, and that's what, that's what sacred liturgy is all about, mm-hmm. it's making reparation, I mean, read, you know, you read oh, the, yeah. in the Missal, you know, that's what you're there for, to make, you know, to make, to offer yourself to God, to, you know, that's what the Mass is about, it's atonement. Absolutely. And, you know, we have to, uh, and, and we, we, we really must take that position, you know, and this mm-hmm. apostolate, I think, of course, we're in our 75th anniversary now, and, uh, and, and you have some great Fatima uh, events going every day. You'll have your 
you'll have on, on the 13th, you have your processions in the city. But I want to mention a couple of the things to, to our audience about what we've done in the past when we, when we in, during the centennial year, when we had the International Pilgrim Virgin there. And you pointed out very well, we took the, the beautiful image of Our Lady over and west on Chicago Avenue to Eckerd Park. We took this beautiful image to a broken part of the city. Yes. We had, how many thousand people do we have there? It was night? at least 4,000. About 4,000 yeah. people. Even, even the secular press had to, had to acknowledge those oh, numbers. Oh, it was incredible. They you had see all these the videos, pictures coming down. The yeah. entire candlelit procession on Chicago yeah. Avenue. And yeah. we had the police carrying, remember? That's right. And we went by the fire station. They all came out and turned the lights on at the oh, fire station. Oh, never forget that, that, yeah. that story. So yeah. I remember that I, I the fire, it was one of the city's busiest fire station. We're going right. right by it on Chicago Avenue. Yeah. And I remember when uh, I saw the lights on, yeah. And I thought, oh no, we have to break fire. the procession for a fire. <laughs> right. So I was getting ready to get on the radio and call the marshals to break that procession. Yeah. Then when I looked closer, I realized the firemen were all standing in front at the curb. Yeah. with their axes saluting as Our yeah. Lady went by. Yeah. I remember having just goosebumps at that yeah. moment, but it's like, that's, yeah. the world knows they need God. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. But yeah, taking this beautiful statue yeah. to the broken part of the city, and then when we had this Our Lady of the Broken statue right, from another, Kevin Matthews, right. taking that broken statue to the east, to the Magnificent Mile, right, to the absolutely. most beautiful part of the city. So it was, it was a beautiful contrast, mm -hmm. but I really believe the message of Fatima is not just for a select few, it's for everyone. Oh, yeah. And we believe it's for the city of, of Chicago. Yeah. And you mentioned this July 13th apparition. This is the day when the children were taught the Oh My Jesus Prayer. Right. Like, yeah. we need to save pray. Us from the Sa exactly, yeah. save, right. yeah. especially those who are most need of God's yeah. mercy. Yeah. Like, and we're we are all a city. Right. We all do. You know? mm -hmm. And we have the, um, of course, we're promoting very much the, um, the um, Night of Love, which is we're promoting the, the nocturnal vigil. And, and the Blue Army in Chicago, as well as many places in New York, and that uh, for 50 years has been holding these vigils, um, uh, you know, all night vigils once a month at least. We had three in Chicago. COVID kind of tipped that down a little bit. But the Night of Love is a book our founder wrote on it. And the one thing that always strikes me in that, in that, uh, it's it's devotional what you do in those nights. One is the the night litany for a big city, and mm. if you read through that and the different things you're making reparate, you're praying for people who are out for sin. You're praying oh. for people that will lose their lives tonight. You know, you're praying for police. You're praying for the firemen. You're praying for you know everybody. And it's really beautiful and complete. It's called a night litany for a big city. That's always struck me. Oh, I would love to see important. that. Yeah, yeah. It's and and I, it's, a, it's I, in our book. It's yeah. in our book, The Night of Love. Um, and that was a book written by our, our founder, John Hafford, and we republished it just recently. Um, and, uh, I, I, but I, these are, you know, that's really what I, th I really think that, you know, all these things, these, these things that were warned at Fatima, you know, nations could be annihilated. These are, and these, these things are real and could still happen. Uh, but I think uh, maybe a lot of things didn't happen because of the devotion of people who did these kind of things. Right. In our 75 years and as apostolate, followed that pledge of Sister Lucia, and for those of you who haven't signed the pledge, I really, it's go to our website, bluearmy.com, sign that pledge, and sign up to do the first Saturday's devotion. And of course, right now we still have our, our great passport promise going on, and uh, I think you go to the website, you'll see it. Um, but it is a beautiful devotion, and once enough people have, in my opinion, embraced the first Saturdays, you're going to see the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, or, you know. I believe that's where it is. Yeah. I've never seen such crowds yeah. at our first Saturday Masses yeah. at St. Saint John's. It's bigger yeah. than a Sunday Mass, but those are definitely growing. Yeah. And I think the, the essence of all this is that prayer really changes things. Yeah. You can't get close to Fatima. It's not a sensational thing. Mm -hmm. You can't get close without realizing, no, prayer can actually affect things. It can change yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. And when enough people are praying and our hearts are converted, 
violence stops, violence yeah. in the wounds stops, exactly. drugs stop, or no, we, we can yeah. change things. We can change the world. We say we have our little bracelets, we go out, you can change the world. I and you that. can change the world. We change the world by prayer. I mean, just look what, what was your billboard right on the Kennedy Expressway in Chicago? Oh, yeah. You yeah. had like a million cars drive by. What, what did it, it say? It said, the world is in desperate need of help. We have the answer. BlueArmy.com. Beautiful. That was and we a... had them all along. We had them in Los Angeles, New York, Miami, and of course in Chicago. And uh, we also had the wall along St. Stanislaus Casca Parish. And I think, I don't know how many million people saw that every day. And God bless Father Boy, she gave it to us to use. Then, of course, the diocese took it over for, the, uh, for some of the this things mm -hmm. at the schools and that. But that was beautiful. I mean, the guy across, <laughs> across with the big billboard, we were competing with him. And we were just hanging there, you know. <laughs> but it was amazing. And yes, and we got a lot of hits on the website from that. A lot of people but came. People, people need to hear that. Just I, look I, at it. Here it so, is. you yeah, know, yeah. Fatima right now may be unknown by some sectors of the church of some people. Yeah. But it won't be unknown for very long. It's no. going to be a center stage because what's yeah. happening, as Benedict XVI said, the prophetic message of Fatima is far from far over. From over. We're not done yet. No, you're right. And, and Pope, Pope John Paul II said, St. Pope John Paul II said that, you know, the Fatima message is more relevant today than it was in 1917. Now, he said that 30 years ago. And it's more relevant, in my opinion, even today, more so than even when he said that. Because it is, the, it is the message of the day. It is about, you know, and I think the centennial showed that. During our centennial, the real people really came to understand that just because we have not fulfilled the Fatima message, just because her predictions have come true, the persecutions, you know, it's not over. We can still win the day, and we will win the day, you know. And and the the, the martyrs of the, of the last century, and you know, you keep in mind that, you know, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the faith, and there have been more people martyred for the faith in the last 100 years than in all of Christianity combined. They say. I think we're on the threshold of an explosion of grace. Oh, praise God! I believe yeah, that too. I really believe that's coming, and that we will, you know, that we will see that. Um, uh, the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, you know. What will it be? Will it be a time of material prosperity? I think just the opposite, quite frankly. It's going to be a time of maybe struggle and, um, and uh, you know, or struggle and may maybe we have to fight for our faith more, you know. But it will, it will bring something so special. It'll put, it'll reprioritize for us. And I'm hoping that this, this Eucharistic revival that we're in the midst of now with the USCCB will be a big part of that. You know, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's time but, for us to recover the great treasures of grace we have. Right, right. And I think by, and again, going back to, to the order and the founding, you know, the, the restoration of the sacred, that's really what it comes down to. That's, that's what drew me into it. Restore beginning. what is broken. Mm -hmm. Restore what is broken, exactly. And, and it's something we broke. Let's be that's realistic. True. You know, we continue to break it every day. But it, it's a, uh, but that's our fallen nature. Mm -hmm. Okay, we are, you know, that's who we are. I mean, mm -hmm. let's be realistic. It's not a, um, not, it's not justifying our mistakes, but it's, it's showing the realization that we are part of a, a very broken people. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, I had just a beautiful uh, story came to mind now about repairing what is broken, what, what we have broken. Yeah. Um, this was told by uh, a saint, I don't remember who, but he was trying to illustrate what, what is the right response to realizing we are broken. There's two possible responses. One is to run in fear, and the other is to run to God in prayer. Mm -hmm. So he was telling a story about two young boys who are roughhousing in their father's house. And if you've ever roughhoused in your parents' house, and they broke this beautiful crystal lamp right by the table, they're jumping on the couch, the lamp falls to the ground, and it's broken and just crashed all over. And, you know, 
and you hear your father's footsteps come. You hear your father's footsteps coming up the driveway. Ominous. <laughs> What's your reaction? Well, the saint said one boy went and hid under the bed, but the other boy ran to the door and ran to his father's arms and cried. Yeah. And what's our response? Yeah. What are we going to do? Are we going to run and hide? Yeah. Are we going to pray? Are we going to pray? Are we going to acknowledge our, mm -hmm. our iniquity and, and go forward with it? And I think that that's really what it is. And that, that's why I, I, I'm very hopeful for the future. I truly am. I, I mean, there's, uh, um, you know, I know that it's a little difficult time, especially with the order and the things that you're, you're adjusting with. But in a way, you know, um, uh, I, I, I don't, I think these things are somewhat temporary. And I believe that, um, you know, your mission of restoring the sacred, you know, you know, in, in, in your order, in this, in the, in the, as the canons of St. John Cantius, is the mission of the church to restore. Absolutely. Restoration is what it's all about. That's mm -hmm. what the Fatima message is all about, reparation, reparation mm -hmm. for sin. And, you know, and, and reconciliation. And reconciliation. It's making reparation and Eucharistic reparation. Of course, that's such a big part of everything you're doing there. Um, your beautiful Fatima shrine, I have to say, you rival us in some ways over there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we learn from the best. You learn from the best. Yeah, you've done a pretty good job of it. But, but it's great. It's great. And it's, it's, it's an honor to be part of it. It's an honor to be, to be in this position with this organization. And it is an honor to still be attached to things back, you know, back in Chicago. And, and, and well, you on. certainly have our prayers. Yeah. And you have our admiration. Thank you for the great work you are doing. Well, we're, we're, we're trying. Well, you know, myself, no, but the people that are around me. That, if I want to get a pat on the back, it's for bringing in the right people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but thanks a lot for, for of being course. here today it's and doing the show, for being here, being part of our uh, liturgies and what we're doing. And uh, we do appreciate it. So, uh, uh, you'll be back, of course. We're going to absolutely gonna let you go. Okay. Thank so, you. Thank you, David. You're very welcome. So, thank you for joining us today on this podcast. And we ask that you subscribe to this. God bless you. <laughs>